the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back and happy December 22nd, 2020. Teach your children well. You can get that instruction from Crosby, Stills, Nash, as you can from King Solomon. Plato, in his Republic, puts it this way. Shall we just carelessly allow children to hear any casual tales which may be devised by casual persons and to receive into their minds ideas, for the most part, the very opposite of those which we should wish them to have when they are grown up? We cannot. Anything received into the mind at that age is likely to become indelible and unalterable. And therefore, it is most important that the tales which the young first hear should be models of virtuous thought. Then will our youth dwell in a land of health amid fair sights and sounds, receive the good in everything, and beauty, the effluence of fair works, shall flow into the eye and ear like a health-giving breeze from a purer region and indelibly draw the soul from the earliest years into likeness and sympathy with beauty of reason. There is no nobler training than that. Now, when you think about that noble training, I think it's worth pointing out that we actually need to be taught that ourselves. I think I know why we need to be instructed in this, and it goes back to how I closed the show yesterday with a quote by Roger Scruton. He said all, he wrote, all the best things we have when abused will cause bad things to happen. You can plant into a child good as much as you can plant into a child bad. You can implant the beauty of reason or you can implant the ugliness of bad passion. When Allen Ginsberg visited Norman Podhoritz trying to convert him to his leftist countercultural point of view and Norman was having none of it, Allen departed, saying, we'll get you through your children. Somehow I think the left understands all this better than we do. Item, take the magazine Teen Vogue. It says its main audience is pre-teen girls, 10, 11, and 12-year-olds, that would be. If you go to its website, you will find article after article praising communism. I don't mean ideas one could call communist. I literally mean communism. They make no bones about it. Who is Karl Marx is the title of one story, and aside from its praise of Marx and communism, it interviews two teachers on how they teach communism in their classroom, presumably so parents or other teachers might learn from them and do the same. You get all kinds of lessons from these teachers, including how violence is what gave birth to capitalism. The last paragraph in this article is this, quote, while you may not necessarily identify as a Marxist, socialist, or communist, you can still use Karl Marx's ideas to use history and class struggles to better understand how the current socio-political climate in America came to be, close quote. In other words, if the name Marx or the word com communist is too hard to swallow, just use the ideas and don't tell them. How do you think it would work if I said, you know, if the word Nazi is too hard, too tough, just use the Nazi ideas? 
Well, we don't have to think that way. We've spent a lot of time here detailing how much our schools, museums, laws, and other institutions engage in the qualitative dividing of people by race and ethnicity, something very much part of the Third Reich. You might just say that's the first step to making ideas become in vogue. It's not a one-off column at Team Vogue, by the way. They have articles praising Vladimir Lenin. They have articles arguing for the abolition of police. Now, in case you thought Team Vogue was alone, it's not. There's something that reaches even more children, the Cartoon Network. And they've partnered with the National Black Justice Coalition to help instruct children not on matters of race per se, but on the children's own gender. I was going to say sexuality, which would be bad enough, but they go further, gender. In fact, here's a tweet from the Cartoon Network last week. Nearly one million Twitter followers, by the way. Quote, here's to not only normalizing gender pronouns, but respecting them too. Whether you use he, she, them, or something else, we acknowledge and love you. Love is in all caps. Close quote. By the way, that's for an audience a bit younger than preteens. Cartoons aren't really for 11 and 12-year-olds. They're for children half that age, aren't they? And by the way, in case you wanted to forgive the Cartoon Network for partnering with an anodyne-sounding organization like the National Black Justice Coalition, you should know it's an organization devoted to and dedicated to, as they tell us, serving primarily lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people. And by the way, the Cartoon Network tweet links to something called the Gender Justice Toolkit. Ironically enough, if you go to that publication, it opens up with an encouraging quote from Malcolm X. Now, Malcolm X was many things. A supporter of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender lifestyles was not one of them. Indeed, the Nation of Islam is identified by nearly every liberal or left-wing civil rights watchdog group from the Anti-Defamation League to the Southern Poverty Law Center as one of the most anti-LGBTQ organizations in the country. But the irony and misdirection from the Gender Justice Toolkit the Cartoon Network links to is not the essence of the problem. The essence of the problem is that we are instructing our youth in a moral education quite the opposite of what you would want, as Plato put it, dwelling in a land of health, amid fair sights and sound, teaching the good in everything, and beauty, the effluence of fair works. Instead, wrongly flowing into their eyes and ears is what we're doing, and not like a health-giving breeze from a pure region, and indelibly drawing their souls from the earliest years into likeness and sympathy, but with the opposite of beauty and reason. An uglier region is where we're sending them. I'm not getting into the whole gender dysphoria issue right here. I'm saying I'm of the belief preteens and younger are too young to be exposed to that issue. Unless, of course, you want to encourage their thinking just as exposing them to articles promoting the virtues and beneficence of Marxism at a young age is meant to encourage their thinking and train them up in the way that they should go in those directions and with those philosophies and beliefs. Neil Postman in his book, The Disappearance of Childhood, writes the following, quote, To have to stand and wait as the charm, malleability, innocence, and curiosity of children are degraded and then transmogrified into the lesser features of future adulthood is painful, embarrassing, and above all else, sad. 
but I have consoled myself with this thought. If one cannot say anything about how we may prevent a social disaster, perhaps one may also serve or be served by trying to understand why it is occurring. He also wrote this, Children are a force-preserving childhood. They're not a political force, but they're a moral force. Children, it would seem, not only know there is value in being different from adults, but care that a distinction be made. They know, perhaps better than adults, that something terribly important is lost if that distinction is blurred. American culture is hostile to the idea of childhood, but it is comforting, even perhaps exhilarating, to know that children are not. All of which I think is true biconditionally and logically, if and only if adults stop using children as a political force and surcease the propagandizing of them for their own political wishes and mischief. There is no specific democracy youth league in America. Perhaps our common schools were once known to take that job on. What with civic education and teaching of things American, I don't do that anymore. But there are and were, however, communist and Nazi youth leagues, and they supplement the schools in communist and Nazi-run countries, and did. Quote, Mother named us with communism. We are creating a new world, close quote. Those are the lyrics from the anthem of the communist youth league in China today. Aristotle had a good read on it. And modern psychology and other contemporary studies back him up. We teach by habit and precept and by example. Aristotle says that habituation at an early age makes more than a small difference. It makes almost all the difference. But, you know, Aristotle is out, as is Plato, as is the Bible. Maybe Crosby, Stills, and Nash are still in. I'm not sure. But Ginsburg certainly is in, and they are still trying to get us through our children. So when we witness the social disasters all around us, I, like Neil Postman, hope we can begin to understand where they are coming from. It's that the children are carefully taught. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. If you're looking for uh, uplifting entertainment, leave you inspired, I want to encourage you again to go to SalemNow.com and check out Poor to CEO, The Incredible Journey of Herman Cain. Herman Cain, uh, as you know, was the CEO of Godfather's Pizza. He came from the humblest of beginnings, as he likes to say, poor, not poor. He was also a candidate for president. He beat cancer. He had a great radio career. He was an amazing man. And his life embodied the values we all strive and want to pass along, whether it's power of personal responsibility, hard work, good education, belief in God, living each day with a thankful heart. It's one of the most inspirational, entertaining films of the year. Go to SalemNow.com to watch From Poor to CEO. Make sure to use the promo code PHOENIX to save 20%. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero is the number. A bunch of you have sent me the story about uh, drug overdose deaths in San Francisco, uh, overshadowing 
the COVID deaths in San Francisco, more, more, more drug overdose deaths in San Francisco than COVID deaths. And um, we have a guest on that coming up in the second hour. I had planned that a couple of days ago, Erica Sandberg. She's the expert um, of all things San Francisco and has written a lot on this issue. You think of San Francisco as one of the hardest hit COVID cities and you see drug overdoses there higher than COVID deaths. Um, I wish the data were more readily available for other cities. At least we're getting data out of San Francisco, but I believe we're going to find an awful lot of that, an awful lot of that. We warned you. We did. And it's just sad. It's just really, really sad to see these things just chugging along. Our darkest days are ahead of us, Joe Biden said today. Interesting comment for a purported president-elect to say. Our darkest days are ahead of us. President, president-elect ever said that, um, but I don't think he knows what he's saying more than half the time. Uh, really hard. The more you look at this COVID relief package, really, really hard to justify. I- I- incredibly hard to justify. Oh, look, there's our good friend Smitty on about it. Hi, Smitty in Scottsdale. Um, happy holidays and happy new year. How are you, sir? Happy holidays. Didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I I was going to riff on it, but you're smarter than me, and I saw you were calling on it, so give it to you, buddy. So uh, I had some time today, so I decided this morning to start rele- reading the bill. Yeah, it made you want to. Yeah, it's it's depressing, isn't it? So I have some observations. Yes, sir. Number one, government is much too big. Yep. Much too big. I mean, every little nook and cranny has got their own building yep. and their own yep. budget, and yep. they're absolutely ridiculous. Yep. That's number one. Yep. No, number two. Um, that there isn't an executive summary when the bulk of this has been under discussion for months right. is, a, is a, a sin. And if these people worked for me, they'd be summarily fired if they didn't produce one in two days. Smitty, don't you, so think, this every- is, don't you think this is a perfect example of passing the bill to find out what's in it? Well, yes, but, I mean, we've seen that before. Yeah, no, I know. No, it's not a good thing. Look, it's Yeah, no, it's, look, it's never been a good there, thing. It, right. There's no excuse. The bottom line is there's no excuse for it. I know. I agree. We have hundreds of thousands of people working in government. Two of them could have sat down and prepared an executive summary beginning 30 days ago and Mm -hmm. then just tweaked it as they finished it. And it would be there for everybody. So that's my second observation. It's just a crappy performance. Uh, and, and, and reminds me of uh, what Steve Hilton said the other night. And consider for a moment that we're being led by a bunch of imbeciles or morons mm-hmm. or whatever. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's number two. And number three, uh, I, I can't vouch for the number, but I Googled it, and it said that to go from $600 to $1,200 would have cost $150 billion. Uh, I think a little less. I was doing these calculations yesterday. I think a little less. But anyway, I take the point, I think. Go ahead. Go ahead. So the point is really, when you look in the funding bill, there are big portions of dollars that are reserved for future years. Yes, right, right, right. Which I find insane that we're pumping up a budget for future 
years. I mean, I can't even get my arms around. How that. do you get your As arms a, around two hundred, nearly two hundred million dollars for federal HIV AIDS workers stationed abroad to buy new cars? How do you get your arms uh, around I mean, that? How do you get your arms around? I'm, I'm, I mean, uh, you know, do you know what what, a, what an organization anywhere in, in America? dedicated to substance abuse prevention or, uh, you know, psychological help could do with that kind of money or even 5% or 1% of that kind of money? Okay, so you're getting to my point, which is, look, I've been through, I've, I've been in leadership of a number of organizations through recessions, and nobody ever griped about a 5% cut. Anything you can do, you can do with 5% less. Okay. So, so cutting foreign aid by 5% and cutting some of these departments by 5%, we could have scraped up enough money to pay 1200 instead of 600 to the people who need it. You could have taken $10 million out of Pakistan women studies, um, new cars for AIDS workers in other countries, uh, the Clear. study of the weather in Tibet. You wouldn't have to cut 5%. Clearly, I'm just saying that's the. Or beginning. you could give more than twelve hundred bucks, six hundred bucks. Okay, six hundred bucks. Work with me, Smitty. We're we're angry on the same side. We're both we're we're raising our voices in fierce agreement. Uh, um, Smitty, work with me on this. Do you remember what Nancy Pelosi called the tax package for Americans' Crumb. crumbs? Do you remember what that amount Crumb. was? Do you remember what that amount was? Oh, yeah. A thousand bucks. It was a thousand a thousand bucks to American households was crumbs. So if my math is right, this is four hundred dollars less. And she's proud of as a peacock over this. I I'm not even going to waste time looking at those kinds of things. because (laughs) I mean, we could do that for 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 another year. But I mean, the whole concept of. Freaking people out over the size of the package when it includes dollars for 2022 and 2023 doesn't seem to make sense to me. Cut that out, and so now we have an $800 billion package or a $700 billion package, and then tacking on the 150 to boost it up to a $1,200 payment, and you're still less than you passed. I, I'm with you, brother. I, and I'll, I'll tell you something else that's been irking me that I don't know if it's the biggest issue. I think it is, though. I think it is. The federal money, I get it because that's where the wallet is. But they're trying to make up for lost money of Americans by decisions states made and not every state. You know, maybe the states wouldn't have done the shutdowns if they knew they'd have to pay for it. You know, Maybe. Maybe they'd have thought twice about plunging themselves into recessions and depressions if they know they were going to have to pay for it. God bless you, Smitty. I got I to gotta run. We'll be right back. Did you welcome back six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero? Bill, did you by chance? Okay, let me let me take this call. But do you have the Joe Biden audio? Uh, 
Let me – should I go to Bob first real quick? We'll finish out the COVID relief bill discussion for now and then – okay. Bob is in Phoenix. Hi, Bob. How are you? Hi, Seth. Um, I, I don't like the stimulus bill, but <laughs> I think you're in it with me. So here's, here's my – Would you have voted on. to pass it? No. I don't I, think I, I would have either. I would have screamed my head off like, like Rand Paul did. Yeah. Um, but here's the perspective I have. <laughs> So you give the taxpayers who qualify $600. There you go. But you don't really have $600 to give them. You have to print it. Of course. So when you print it, you basically say, here's your $600, but you owe us that back sooner or later. It may not be you. It may be your grandkids or who knows if it'll ever get paid off. So um, at what point are, is, is anybody going to realize that you know 20, high $20 trillion debt is a problem? I mean, it's- At the, po- the point at which... They start taking Rand Paul seriously. Yeah. It's at that point. Late, and, you know, that lone voice, I guess he had a few other senators with him on this, but, you know, his speech on it was perfectly wonderful. I mean, his point was, why, why 600 if we're just printing it? I think it's your point. Yep. Why, why not 20000 totally Yeah. A minimum wage. Why not give him 50000 a year? I mean, you know, why... But what about... Uh, is my point... Uh, is my point... Um, at all valid? Maybe it's not. Maybe maybe it's not. The, the notion that I don't understand. I don't understand the, uh, the 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 philosophy that the feds, all of us, have to bail out what governors and mayors did. I don't get that. It, did the governors and we're trying to make people whole here for decisions that. You and I didn't, and Congress didn't make. Uh, not funny. So <laughs> no, you, I, my point being, you know, Andrew Cuomo and uh, Gavin Newsom made decisions that put a lot of people in harm's way, knowing they wouldn't have to pay for it, and thinking someone else would. The feds, by that, you and me. Um, and, and we're broke. and I and I just think I just think maybe they would have thought twice about putting everyone into. Harm's way, economic and, and psychological harm's way here if they knew that they would have to pay for it with their budget processes rather than the con- yeah. federal federal Congress. Maybe I'm, maybe my I, point isn't that big of a deal. I, I just think it is. I, I was at your old stomping grounds, or partly the TP today. Oh, you <laughs> were, were to, you? Yeah, and I was talking to a buddy, and I said, you know, why couldn't we just say personal responsibility? I am a restaurant. I'm going to be open. You can choose whether you want to come in here or not. I know there's the other side of it is that those people go in there, they'll get it, and they'll go home and spread it to everybody else. But I'm not sure that's valid. I don't know. I mean, but I would like to take responsibility for myself and let everybody else take responsibility for them. Yes, and I would uh, like I states to take now. responsibility for what they're doing, too. Absolutely. And mayors take responsibility for what they're doing. And Nancy Pelosi take responsibility for what she's doing. I I I I, 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 what has gone on here is a fraud. It's a fraud. I know, I know people. I, we have it's election, gigantic. but we have we have a we have a we have a COVID fraud going on, a COVID relief fraud here as well. It's a terrible thing that was that was just done. It's a. Ter- well, I don't know how you explain doubling the 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 education allotment. Department of Education well, got eighty two billion stuff? bucks. That's about their annual <laughs> yeah. budget. Yeah. I, I just don't understand it. I would respect Trump more. If Did teachers say, take pay cuts? 
No, I don't no, think so. No, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I, would, I would say, if I was Trump, I would say, hey, here's, I looked at this bill, I had people study it, here's how much is involved with COVID, it, and that's as most I'm going to give you. Yeah. Anything, all this Tibet stuff and all the Kennedy Center, you know, goes on and on. Uh, anyway, I, I don't want to bother. It just bugs me. This you don't want to bother me. It's a talk yeah. show. <laughs> what, what do you <laughs> think I do here from three to six? Yeah. Gotta, <laughs> you don't want to bother me. I got to find something to argue with. What, you about. What, what did you <laughs> have at the TP? Uh, I had a bean burrito. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. That's it. You don't go to the TP yeah. for just that. I know. I know. I know. I was in the area. <laughs> you are in the area. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Good work. All right, brother. I got to run. Thanks for your thoughts. Okay. All Thank right. you. We'll be right back. 602-508-0960. That song always brings a smile to my face for several reasons. It's a fun song. The person who wrote about it, excuse me, the person Jimmy Buffett wrote that about is in our audience and called in to talk about it once. I haven't heard from her since, though. I'd love to hear from her again. And then it just also brings back fun memories. 602-508-0960. Thank you, David Marcus, for this. Um, It's fine for the media to blame... um, Republicans for engaging in conspiracy theories, I suppose. When are they going to start blaming Joe Biden for engaging in conspiracy theories? David Marcus writes, back in October when the New York Post broke a story about Hunter Biden's laptop and investigations into corruption involving a presidential candidate, a conspiracy theory was floated to explain it all. It all had all the hallmarks, we were told, of what? Russian disinformation. It was a Russian disinformation campaign. Intelligence experts even signed a letter attesting to that. The world now knows that the Department of Justice is investigating the younger Biden and that this was not Russian disinformation. But somebody needs to tell Joe Biden. On Tuesday at a press conference, Biden was asked by Fox News's Peter Ducey if he still believes the story is Russian disinformation now that his campaign admitted the corruption investigation is, in fact, going on. You have this audio, Bill, by chance? You do. Thanks. Merry Christmas, everybody. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. God love you, man. You're a one-horse pony. I tell you. Thank you. Thank you. I promise you. Uh, unbelievable. Justice. Yes, yes, yes. He still believes it's Russian disinformation. You're a one horse pony. Well, he's the only member of the press asking a question I think a lot of people have about the Biden business and China. It's an astounding claim, Marcus writes, from Biden, given that we now know that the DOJ has had a long and ongoing investigation into Hunter Biden's taxes. The investigation is serious enough that Attorney General William Barr kept it secret so it would not influence the election. That's a fair point, isn't it? You know it's serious if the Attorney General on your team is trying to keep it secret so it won't influence the election. Over the past two months, Joe Biden himself has never disputed a single reported aspect of the story, so 
on what basis does he believe it's all Russian disinformation? He's grown accustomed to a media that won't ask him hard questions, but he's about to appoint a new attorney general whose job is to oversee a department that is investigating his own son. Does no one in the press have a question about that? Do you remember how much there was to Donald Trump Jr. meeting someone from Russia for 10 minutes, 15 minutes before he walked out over an adoption bill? An adoption bill. If Biden really believes that there is no legitimate case against his son, that this is all a plot by Vladimir Putin, why do we trust him to pick the attorney general? It would be one thing if he says he trusts his son but wants the legal procedures to play out. Instead, he's citing a debunked conspiracy theory. It is a debunked conspiracy theory that it's a Russian disinformation campaign. I think the Biden transition team needs to clarify this right now. Is it the position of Biden that the New York Post story and the subsequent stories from other outlets are a disinformation campaign? If the answer is no, then they need to correct his misstatement. If the answer is yes, then they need to show some evidence. Right now, it just looks like Biden is tossing around conspiracy theories to protect his family. Now, what's interesting about that audio is at the end, he says... You're a one-horse pony, and thank you, thank you, thank you. That thank you business, I've seen him do it with Peter Ducey before. He did it with that one CBS reporter who he has a hard time with, too, because he wants he wants them. It was at his last press conference when Ducey said that. He said, and thank you for that question. I appreciate your congratulations. Ducey didn't congratulate him. Biden wants to be congratulated by the press. That's why he's sarcastically saying thank you, thank you, thank you. He thinks this should be given a softball question. He thinks he should be given um, no hard time about Hunter Biden. I, I think the New York Post should get a Pulitzer for this story, for what they went through, for being censored for being called out by their colleagues at the New York Times and CNN, their fellow media journalists. They should get a prize for being called out by them, by their fellow colleagues in the journalism business for engaging in a Russian disinformation campaign when it was not. Journalists blamed people in their own profession for publicizing propaganda from a foreign country. And they were the ones, those who made that accusation, they were in the wrong. They were wrong on the merits, they were wrong in the accusation, and they were wrong to engage in censorship, especially after four years of telling us how brave they all were to fight the war against the media that Donald Trump was engaged in. War at which level of meaning of the word I just don't understand. I just don't understand. What's the worst thing Donald Trump did? Give them a lot of access and every one of them a lot of access and restore the credentials of those who got kicked out and allowed people who were disrespectful and quote unquote reporters from Playboy magazine who were shouting at him to stay in the press pool. What was the war? Oh, well, he said we're the enemy of the people. Oh, my goodness. And what did you call him? Maybe you were engaged in a war against the institution of the presidency of the United States with all the slander and defamation you threw his way.
and the hoax of Russia, the Russian hoax story that you perpetuated. What was that? Was that a war or was that peace? Were you engaged in war or peace against the presidency of the United States, the election of 2016, if you will, and all of the American people who voted for Donald Trump fairly and legitimately in 2016, only to say that their vote really was the product of Russian collusion? I'll tell you, I had a long talk with my GM today about the state of the media. And we've we've kind of run out of adjectives but they deserve zero credibility indeed to quote elvis costello less than zero All right, I was trying to be polite, and I, I and Dexter got me. Our listener Dexter, our good friend Dexter, got me off it. So let's get off it. Play the Biden audio again. He was asked by Peter Ducey. Sorry, he was asked by Peter Ducey about whether he still believes um, that uh, the story about his son is Russian disinformation. Here, go ahead. Merry Christmas, everybody. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. God love you, man. You, you're a one-horse pony. Okay, there it is. So I was trying to be nice, and um, but Dexter's too funny. One-horse pony? You're a one-horse pony. It's not an expression. It's one-trick pony. It's one-horse open sleigh. So I told, I said to Dexter, I think he, you know, he was thinking maybe of the one-horse open sleigh. Dexter said, maybe so. The sound of jingle is part of the Biden family. <laughs> well done, Dexter. Well done. See, yeah, he's going to create all kinds of new phrases, isn't he, that don't exist. You're a one-horse pony. I don't know what that is. Anyway, um, it shows you what happens, though, if you throw a question to Joe Biden that he's not heavily scripted or prepared for. Why isn't he scripted or prepared for this question? I have the answer. Do you know the answer, Bill? Exactly. Exactly. Exactly right. The media has proven to him, with the exception of Peter Ducey, that uh, he's not going to get a tough question on this. Or if so, they'll wait for Jill Biden, his nurse, to be at his side to help him. Probably. Did you see the um did you see the tweet going around of Matt Gates at a Christmas party, you know Congressman Matt Gates at a Christmas party uh having um a little fun with his staff doing karaoke to uh one of our favorite songs by the way, Rock Me Mama. Great great song. Not a bad singer. And they're just shaming him. Just, you know, people are all over the uh, Twitterverse. People just shaming him for singing in um, a closed room with his staff, having a little holiday fun. Yeah, be prepared for a lot more of that. 
People are having fun. Call the cops. God forbid. God forbid. Everyone should just be miserable. As Joe Biden says, our darkest days are coming.